1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Give ear to the word of God. Paul writes, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The sense of the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Well, we are coming to the end of chapter 4 here of First Timothy, this letter one of the pastoral epistles, as they call them, where Paul is giving instructions, you know, Paul the Apostle. Timothy was kind of one of his young protege pastors. So he is leaving him in a, in a position of responsibility. When Paul was away, Paul had to leave Ephesus for a time. And so he left Timothy there to kind of mind the fort, you know, uh, hold down the fort, mind the store, whatever, whatever phrase you want to use. And in this letter, he gives him instructions on how things should be done in the church. In this particular chapter, he gives Timothy kind of personally detailed instructions on what he personally was to do as a pastor. And in the the little passage we've been looking at over the last number of Lord's Days, he specifically tells him, teaches him, how he was to minister the Word of God. That's something we all need to take to heart, those of us who are in ministry. And so he tells him what to do. And in chapter 4, verse 16, in a sense you could say he sums up everything that he said before in the passage by telling him to keep a close eye or a close watch on two things, and that is himself, his way of living, and his teaching, the doctrine that he taught. Uh, As we saw back in verse 12, a pastor or elder teaches not only through what he says, but remember he told Timothy to set the believers an example so how he lives is also another way of teaching, and they both they both have to go together. So how a pastor or elder lives will either be in accordance with what he teaches, in accordance with the gospel of Christ, if he's walking in godliness, or it will be in some way contrary to it and in conflict with it. So you could say that in a sense, uh, it's a scary thing for a pastor to think about, but how you live can undo what you say. You can say all the right things, but if you're doing something that, that contradicts it, it kind of undoes, it kind of undoes the message. And so Paul, Paul reminds Timothy of the seriousness of the charge of ministry he had been given in the gospel in saying that if he keeps a close watch on himself and on his teaching, his doctrine, he says something kind of startling to our ears. He will save both himself and his hearers. I think what he's doing there is he's he's trying to impress upon Timothy how important, how serious this is. How serious his call to the ministry and his work he was called to is. Now this, as we're going to see, this is not Paul teaching some kind of works righteousness, some kind of works salvation. He's not literally telling Timothy, hey, do a good job and God will save you. He's not saying do a good job and you will save, literally save other people. Christ is the only Savior. Timothy is not being told that he is some kind of secondary savior. 
but we'll see uh, as we go on through this text this morning what that means. It's, it's through the ministry of the gospel that our Lord Jesus Christ seeks and saves the lost. And so Paul is wanting Timothy to be careful that he uh, be used by God, but used by Christ to be a part of that. Well, the first thing he tells Timothy to do in our text here is to keep a close watch on himself. To keep an eye on himself. Look at verse 16. It says, he says it right in the first part of the passage. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. You know, if, if we were writing this, and it's a good thing that we're not, if I was writing this, I would have said, keep a close eye on the, on the doctrine. He does say that, but that's not the first thing he says. He says, keep a close eye or close watch on yourself. Now, you, you also might think that a pastor's main concern as a shepherd of God's flock would be to keep a close eye on the sheep. Now, Paul's not saying, you know, hey, you're, you're as a shepherd, you're to spend the whole time navel-gazing. You know, you're not supposed to be staring in the mirror the whole time and letting the sheep wander all over the place. It's not the picture that he's saying at all. But uh, you know, the, the shepherd can't watch the sheep if he's not keeping an eye on himself first. You know, a shepherd, a pastor who is careless about himself, it is not likely that he will be very careful about the sheep, about the flock. And he'll end up being a danger both to himself as well as to them. Now, think about Paul's parting words to the elders of the church at Ephesus, the same church where Timothy was serving in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he tells the elders of the church at Ephesus, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. There it is again. He tells them to look out for themselves first. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. He reminds them, it's not your church. It's the flock of whom? It's God's church. It's God's flock which he purchased with his own blood. He obtained with his own blood. What does that teach you about Christ? He is God the Son. He is God incarnate who died to purchase the church with his own blood. But what does he tell the elders to do? He tells them, pay careful attention to yourselves and then to the flock as well. That you know, It's the same command as in our text, and frankly, it's the same order as what's found in our text. Pay attention to yourselves and then also to the flock. Pay attention to yourselves and also then the doctrine. The Puritan writer Richard Baxter, in some ways, made Acts 20.28 the outline and a springboard of sorts for his classic book, The Reformed Pastor. In fact, uh, before he even gets into his instructions about the oversight of the flock, he spends no less than two chapters of the book telling the pastor how to watch himself first. I think he gets that from Acts 20, uh, 28, as well as maybe from our text. He deals with the pastor's oversight of themselves and elders' oversight of themselves first, and I think he's following the biblical pattern, as we can see from our text. Now, you know, many men in the ministry uh, neglect, I think, the duty of watchfulness over both life and doctrine. You know, you can, be, you can be meticulously careful about matters of doctrine and still be careless about your life. Now, there's a tendency, I think, uh, and I think we all kind of slip into it when we're not being careful and watching ourselves, that we think, well, if my doctrine is right, everything else will take care of itself. Now, your doctrine has to be right. Paul does say, Pay, keep a close watch on the teaching, on the doctrine. 
But being orthodox in doctrine does not is not a a uh, a, a prevention. It's not a guarantee of someone watching over their life and not falling into sin and things like that. Baxter writes this. He says, It is a palpable error of some ministers who make such a disproportion between their preaching and their living, who study hard to preach exactly and study little or not at all to live exactly. All the week long is little enough to study how to speak two hours, and yet one hour seems too much to study how to live all the week. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your elders. You know, there, there are many who do the opposite of that in some ways. You know, both sides of the coin, they're not careful in their preaching, uh, and maybe they're not careful in their living as well, but uh, both, both are necessary. Both are essential to any gospel ministry. And so this is, you know, and this is frankly not just something for pastors to be concerned with. I think that's a, a theme that we keep bringing up, I keep bringing up as we go through this text. This text, especially this paragraph, is Paul having instructions for Timothy as a pastor? And so many of us, I think our first thought is sort of to check out. Like, well, that's not really for me. It's your job, pastor. You study that for yourself and let us know when it gets back to us. But the principles still apply to each of us, I think, as well. You may never be called upon to serve as a pastor or to preach a sermon. Many of you are probably very relieved by that, uh, by that news. Uh, but are you any less called to follow Christ? Are you any less called to follow after Christ if you're a Christian? As a Christian, just because you're not a pastor or an elder doesn't mean that you can walk carelessly. doesn't mean that you don't have to follow Christ and be careful how you live as a believer. That's not what the Bible teaches. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer this morning, keep a close watch on yourself, lest you too contradict what you profess to believe by how you live, by the manner in which you live. Now, how? how? How do you keep a close eye or a close watch on yourself? How are you to do that? The scriptures have much to teach us in that regard. In fact, we just looked at it in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 verse 9 says this, the psalmist writes, How can a young man keep his way pure? And what does he say? By guarding it according to your word. So we who are believers in Christ, both young and old alike, not just our old, us older folks, but the young people as well, are to seek to keep our way pure. And how are we to do that? What does the psalmist tell us to do it? Same kind of word as in our text, by guarding it. And how do you guard it? According to God's word. You keep a close eye on your life. How? By God's word. You look at God's word, you study it, you, you meditate upon it, and you look at your life through it. You know, James, the book of James, talks about a man, you know, looking into the perfect law of liberty as if he's looking into a mirror. And some look intently at it and then walk away and forget what a kind of person they are. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look at God's word and see how we are to live in light of it, what things we should look to change by God's grace in light of his word. Verse 11 of that psalm, as we already looked at, uh, Psalm 119, the psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So memorizing God's word is something every believer should should seek to do, and not just memorizing it, but store. He doesn't just say, commit it to memory, does he? He puts it in a very different way. Store it up in my heart. Your word I've stored up in my where? My heart. It's not just up here, it's here. That takes meditation and thought and prayer. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 likewise admonishes us to keep your heart 
with all vigilance. Keep is another word for guard. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Vigilance. Why? For from it flow, can't say it, uh, from it flow the springs of life or the issues of life. Everything in your life starts here. So the word of God is to influence your heart. Guard your heart and mind by God's word, for from the heart flows everything else. Everything you say, everything you do flows from the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your your mouth, my mouth, is 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 a barometer or an indicator of our hearts. What we say and how we live shows what's in our, our hearts. What if you're not a believer in Christ? What if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord by faith and you're still in your sins? What are you to do? You know, your greatest need then is not to keep your way pure or even to keep your heart. You need to be cleansed from sin in both heart and life and to be reconciled to God by the blood of Christ. Uh, your dead heart of stone has to be, re- we need a new heart, a heart transplant, so to speak. The book of Ezekiel talks about God taking our dead hearts of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh, and even writing God's law on your heart when you turn to the Lord by faith. God alone can do that. I, no, no dead sinner can make themselves alive or replace their own heart. Only God can do that. Only God alone saves sinners through the death of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Turn from your sins if you don't know the Lord and turn to Christ by faith and you will be saved. And then, only then, out of gratitude for God's grace in your salvation from sin, then you'll be able to start living and walking in newness of life the rest of your days by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you will be renewed in the inner person according to the likeness of Christ and learn to keep your way pure according to guarding it by the word of God. That brings us to the second thing that Paul admonishes young Timothy to do, which is to keep a close eye uh, not on just himself, but also on the teaching. As we have seen before, both of these things are essential. Both his life and his teaching were essential and critically important. Now, a pastor has to keep a close watch on himself, on his way of life, but he also must make it his aim to keep a close eye on the teaching or the doctrine that he believes and teaches and preaches and this doesn't just happen. You know, it's easy to think, well, you've, you've studied enough theology books, you've graduated from seminary, therefore the doctrine will just kind of take care of itself. It doesn't actually work that way. Our doctrine must be grounded in the Word of God, it must be guided by the Word of God, and it must be guarded by the Word of God and measured against it. There has to be a constant, ongoing, and even a persevered in, according to Paul's words here in our text, a persevered in watchfulness over our doctrine. And what, what this implies is, you know, there's, there is really a constant temptation, a constant danger uh, of false teaching coming in. There really is. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I always say I'm not a, a, I don't have a green thumb. If you give me a plant, it will probably die from either not being watered or being watered too much, so don't give me plants. Um, but, you know, if you have a garden, if you have a yard, uh, no one has to plant weeds, you know, the grass might not grow, the grass may be all brown, but you'll have weeds everywhere. It just comes in. Well, in a similar way, the evil one is always trying to sow bad seeds uh, in the church, in the teaching of the church. If he can distort the gospel, uh, he prevents the gospel from being preached. Um, and so, you know, the imagery here is a pastor or elder as a shepherd. Uh, think about that. Why is a pastor, the, the word really means shepherd. A pastor is a shepherd. 
Um, what does a shepherd do? Now, you know, you might think, well, a shepherd just kind of leads the flock and feeds them, which is part of it. But what else does a shepherd do? Remember the the Psalm, the twenty third Psalm: "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." He has a he has a a, a stick, a staff, and a crook or a, a hook. The hook is for getting lost sheep out of trouble. But what's what's the stick for? For the wolves. You know, wolves and bears. And remember when David went went up to Saul when when Goliath was 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 challenging the Israelites to a fight. And, and David, this little whippersnapper, you know, who knows how old he was? He might have been 13 or something. But he goes up to Saul and says, I'll, let me at him. You know, who's this guy? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine to challenge the armies of the living God? But, and what does he say when Saul kind of tries to throw water on his, on his flame? He's like, no, no, I, you know, I've, I've been a shepherd since I was this big, and I've, I've fought bears and lions. Like, but he wasn't kidding. Like he's fought off while he's chased them away when they tried to attack the flock. Well, that's the picture, in many ways, of the work of a pastor or shepherd. Um, so false teaching is something that has always got to be guarded against. We saw in Acts twenty twenty eight that warning, that that final uh, parting words that Paul gave to the Ephesian elders. Uh, he tells them to pay careful attention to themselves and all the flock. But in the very next two verses, Acts twenty. Verses 29 and 30, what does he say? He says, this is, this is why they had to pay attention. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, from, from among the elders, uh, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That's why they had to pay careful attention to themselves and to the whole flock. Even, even from among their own number, from, from among the elders and pastors of the churches, these things sometimes arise. So sometimes the danger of false teaching and heresy and false gospels will come from the outside, but sometimes, according to Acts 20, it comes from within the church, even from the elders themselves. So they had to pay careful attention to their own selves as well as to each other and as well as the flock. And, and what will the method of these wolves be? I'll say this again, and you probably don't need to be told this, but you know, wolves don't show up with name tags. They show up with with sheep's clothing. They show up with a smile. They don't show up in, with their intentions being plain and and out. And what how, what is their method? How do these wolves attack the sheep by speaking? He says, speaking twisted things. Twisted things. In other words, they they teach false doctrine even twisting and distorting the word of God, uh, as Paul says elsewhere, distorting the scriptures to their own destruction, as Peter, as Peter rather says in 2 Peter 3.16. They don't often just contradict it openly. They twist it. They make you think, well, he's, he's giving me the Bible, but he, he twists and distorts the meaning. It's what they do. Brothers and sisters, do you see now why Paul tells Timothy in the verses before this that he had to devote himself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. He had to make that his aim and his devotion. The flock needs to be taught, Christ's sheep need to be fed, and guarded by the word of God. The word of God, in in many ways, is how God guards his sheep. By exposing you to the the whole counsel of God. The better you know God's word, the the less likely it is that you can be led astray by false teaching of any kind. And, and this, this need to keep a close watch on the teaching of the church is also one of the reasons why we have doctrinal standards, subordinate standards, 
But they are doctrinal standards like the, the creeds and the confessions of the church. You know, these things don't do us any good if we're not familiar with them or if we don't know them, if we don't keep them in mind. That's one of the reasons why, in addition to expository preaching and reading of the Word of God on Sundays, we also have made it our our practice in recent years to spend time in Bible studies going through the creeds and confessions of the church. That we might know these things and know what, what system of doctrine the Bible teaches. The Bible is our standard. The Westminster Confession and the Shorter Catechism and all that, those are good. Even the Apostles' Creed, the church has used the Apostles' Creed for almost its entire existence, some 1,700 years and counting, because it's there for a reason. It, it is a good, faithful summary of the Bible's teachings. Uh, but if we don't know them, they don't do us any good. But the Bible is our ultimate standard for doctrine, for faith, and life. So I would I would uh, encourage you. I know we're not having it tonight, so it's ironic I bring it up. But uh, when we do have it, if you're able to attend, I encourage you to do to make yourself uh, avail yourself of those of those studies. Uh, now you might be saying to yourself, again, hey pastor, doctrine's your job. You know, I we, we pay you, so we don't have to worry about that kind of thing. And uh, you know, and that may be true to some some small extent. Maybe it's half right. Uh, the doctrine of the church is certainly part of my job, part of the job of the elders of the church, but it really is everyone's concern, or it should be. Your, your pastor, you know, as your pastor, I can teach you, I can preach to you, uh, but I cannot know and believe for you. I cannot understand the word of God for you. Only you can do that when paying attention to the reading and teaching of the word and reading it on your own. I think there's a tendency and temptation to view teaching or doctrine as if it were kind of a, uh, this is a timely word, but kind of a vaccination or an entrance, entrance exam of some kind. As if we, you know, if you attain to a certain measure of it, uh, then we're finished with it and that's all that we need to do. You know, I, I, some of us who are raised in the church your whole life, maybe you were raised in a Bible-believing church, and you kind of can get to this thing where you think, well, you know, I've heard all this. I've heard everything I need to know. I don't need to study or learn anything else or or be reminded. But we all need to be reminded of these things. You know, you you can spend however long you live. You live to be a hundred, and you've been a Christian all your life. You will still read the Bible and see things and find things. Either you may not have never seen it, uh, but it's it's like it's a new book. You you keep reading things and finding things and being reminded of things and growing in your understanding of what the Bible teaches. That is something that we are to do all throughout our lives, not just for pastors, but for every believer in Christ. Now, uh, an attitude of thinking that you know you attain a certain amount and you can just stop there, I think that is an attitude that must not be found in our pastors and elders. They have to make it uh, their sincere effort and aim to, to grow in their knowledge and understanding of God's Word. That should be a lifelong pursuit. Uh, but again, I think that should be the pursuit of every Christian, uh, young and old, Alike. Now, think about this. Everything that God has seen fit to include in his holy word, all scripture, is there for a reason. It's there for our benefit. Uh, not only does God sanctify us by the truth of his word, John seventeen seventeen says that, but it's also by means of all scripture, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, it's by, by all scripture being taught and preached and applied to our lives that for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's that. All of that is so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All of Scripture. 
And frankly, if you think about it, if you think about you know when Paul wrote Second Timothy, what was most of the scripture that they would have had back then in the first century? The Old Testament. Do you neglect the Old Testament? Are we are we just New Testament Christians? We just read half our Bibles? Do we act like we have two different books in this book or one book? The Old Testament and the New was given as all Scripture that we might be complete and equipped for every good work. All of it. Not just the Gospels, not just Paul's epistles, but all of the Bible. So to neglect, you know, if you want to be complete and equipped for every good work, then don't neglect the great doctrines taught in all of Scripture, Old and New Testament, Alike. Well, the last thing that Paul does here is he gives us, gives Timothy and us the motivation or the incentive for this watchfulness that he commends to him over our life and doctrine. That's, uh, that if we persevere it, if we do these things and persevere in them, in this watchfulness, he tells Timothy he will save both himself and his hearers. Now, if we actually take time to think about what Paul says, that can sound like a very difficult phrase. Um, if you think about it, what does Paul mean by Timothy or any other minister of the gospel saving himself or saving his hearers? Do ministers save people? We sometimes talk like it. I've heard people, oh, I did this, I saved. I'm like, well, oh. it always makes me uncomfortable. It's like, yeah, you kind of didn't. You know, did you die on a cross? I don't think you did. You know, um, but but at the same time. Scripture uses language like that. Paul tells Timothy, you'll save your hearers. He doesn't mean that Timothy will die for their sins, uh, but he does. He, he wants to impress upon him how important this is and what a role that, that, a, that a, a faithful minister plays in the salvation of sinners by preaching the gospel. Uh, it is a difficult, difficult phrase in some ways, but Paul isn't contradicting himself here. He's not, he's not suddenly teaching salvation by works, not for the pastor and not for the hearers, Paul himself says elsewhere in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, to make sure that, that Paul, you know, we are clear on what Paul is and is not saying, salvation from sin is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period, exclamation point. There is no other way of salvation um, than that. Even the good works, according to Paul in Ephesians 2, even the good works that you do in following Christ and serving him uh, were prepared beforehand by God that you should walk in them. You don't even get the credit, so to speak, for that. God prepared that for you in advance. And then he even says, we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus, even the fact that you're a Christian is, is a miracle of God because he re, you are a new creation in Christ if you're a Christian. You are his workmanship. You know the old saying we joked around about from a few years ago from our former president, you didn't build that? Well, you didn't build that. He did. He made you a new creation and even put those works prepared beforehand for you to walk in them. And so you're not saved by works, but you are saved for them. You're not saved by works, but you are saved for good works, that you might walk in them. And if you're in Christ by faith, you are a new creation and are to walk in newness of life. But uh, what does Paul mean in our text by saving himself and saving his hearers? John Calvin explains it well. He says, 
Uh, nor should it seem strange that Paul ascribes to Timothy the work of saving the church. For all that are one for God are saved, and it is by the preaching of the gospel that we are gathered to Christ. It is indeed true that it is God alone who saves, and not even the smallest part of his glory can be rightly transferred to men. But God's glory is in no way diminished by his using the labor of men in bestowing salvation. What he means by that is he uses people, crooked sticks to draw straight lines, to preach the gospel. How shall they hear if they don't hear a preacher, and how shall they preach if they're not sent? Romans 10. Everyone that's ever believed the gospel heard it from a human preacher. That's the point. Heard it from someone who preached the gospel to them. That is what Calvin is saying. That's what Paul is saying. And so, you know, Paul uses similar language elsewhere, doesn't he? The Bible has this funny way of saying things in ways that make us uncomfortable. And the solution is not to explain them away or, or not use the language. The, the, the right thing to do is to take Scripture at its face and understand rightly what it is and is not saying. Paul uses the same kind of language a number of other places. Here's a couple of them. First Corinthians 9.22, he says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. Here it is. That I, by all means, I might save some. Paul's not saying he's the Savior, but he's, he is talking about how God would use him to save sinners through the gospel. Romans 11, verses 13 to 14. Now am I, I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, here it is, and thus save some of them. There are other passages as well that Paul uses the same kind of language, and so we have to be careful how picky we are about language when the Bible uses such language. The Bible talks about, in, in Peter's epistles, he talks about baptism saving. There's one to fight over. Now, he says what he means and what he doesn't mean in that text, but you know we would never use that phrase, and yet the Bible does. There, we have to be content to use the language Scripture uses and just make sure that we do the work of understanding it properly and even saying it properly when we use it. You know, Calvin, as he noted, Paul is speaking in terms of winning sinners to Christ, even though we know that ultimately God does that as well. And how, do, how are sinners won to Christ? By the preaching of the gospel. And so in doing this, in spe he speaks of saving them. Not, you know, Paul's not trying to rob God of his glory in the salvation of sinners. That's due to him alone. He's just trying to impress upon Timothy and upon us, uh, I think in our text, the great importance of the work of ministry in the gospel. It's a matter of sinners being saved from death. That is what Timothy uh, is tasked to do in the preaching of the gospel. It's what every, every faithful and called minister is called to do. And so that is why we are told to watch your fate, your life and doctrine closely. May God grant unto us all of us but especially those of us who God has called to be ordained to office in the church, that we might learn to watch, as Paul says, watch our lives and our doctrine closely and persevere in doing that in order that we might see many sinners converted to Christ by faith and saved in him. To God be the glory forever. Amen.